Wrestling Geeks Everyone out there with, you know, your love and wants and needs to listen to wrestling news. I am, of course, the person that's going to help you through that. The doctor, not of thugonomics, but of going over wrestling stuff uh, with my opinions and such. Dane Alves and we, me and my co-host, Christopher Brother Ray Patton, have another amazing episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance. And if you're a new listener... You know, just buckle your seatbelt. You're going to be in for a bumpy ride, mainly because it's going to be about Raw and SmackDown. <laughs> uh, but in all seriousness, if you are a new listener, we have another show. Uh, we do two shows a week. One of them is dedicated to AEW and NXT and uh, non, you know, uh, main roster stuff news-wise. And our, our shows that we do during the weekend are for Raw and SmackDown and stuff related to WWE main show stuff. But I couldn't do this by myself. I, of course, have to have my co-host, like I said, Christopher Brother Ray Patton. How you doing, sir? I am doing wonderful, man. It's great to be back on the show, and uh, I'm excited to talk about some wrestling. How, how are you, Dane? I'm doing lovely. Um, I, I uh, you know, spent the morning with my roommate's kid. Well, actually, we only did this for like 20 minutes, but we have this new uh, thing that we do on uh, – we watch my back deck. Uh, he puts out uh, bread, and we have a fat squirrel, a blue jay, and a cardinal that all come out at the same time for that said bread. So it is actually an amazing – you know, um, it's 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 like National Geographic, right the, right the fuck there, except for bread eating. <laughs> We totally do that with bird seed on the back porch, and, and we have this one squirrel I'm pretty sure is like either the fattest squirrel of all time or pregnant, and this blue jay, and they fight each other. Like, the blue jay gets all puff-chested, like, starts squawking, and the squirrel's like, I'm not moving either, dog. It's really weird. They have these weird Mexican standoffs on my, uh, on my back deck, so it, it's definitely entertaining to watch. It is entertaining to watch, and I hope that the Cardinal and the Blue Jay never rough each other up because the Cardinal's very small, and I heard that they they don't like each other in in uh, in nature. It's uh, it's weird stuff, just because you know, just 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 stupid stuff, basically. Uh, but let's uh, stop trying to pretend that we're a nature show, and uh, you know, <laughs> past listeners will will know that we kind of ramble like this. Uh, it's kind of the the part of the enjoyment of Wrest- Wrestling Geeks Alliance, but um. Let's uh let's talk about some stuff. Um, just like the unfortunate uh, thing that we had to talk about uh, on uh, the last show involving uh, WWE wrestler Chad Gaspard and what happened with him, we have another tragic story to unfortunately start off with. Uh, stardom wrestler Hana Kimura um, has passed away at the age of 22. I will be honest with you. Um, I have not seen too much of her work. I think that Chris has got some information that's a little bit more expands upon stuff, including a match that he uh, believe put on his on the uh, Facebook page 
um, of her and B. Priestley having a match not too long ago. But she was 22, and it looks like um, she might have taken her own life, uh, and a lot of it due to cyberbullying from what they're looking into right now. And uh, the whole concept, I mean, just the fact that she was 22 and just a beautiful young girl just has everything going for her. You know, I haven't seen her work, but she works at Stardom and B. Priestley, Tony Storm, Io Shirai, Asuka, you know, um, Kairi Sane. They, they all came out of this camp, and it's, it's very top-level uh, wrestling, uh, just with an all-female division, which is pretty cool, actually. Um, but Stardom put up, you know, a little tribute for her on Twitter. This is a really, really tragic, tragic loss. And um, personally for me, even though I don't know of her work or whatever, she's a human being. And uh, I'm sure a lot of us were bullied. Um, I don't like the modern way. I mean, I was extremely bullied through middle school and high school. Uh, I don't like the modern approach to trying to, you know, silence it. Um, honestly, uh, I think that it should be encouraged to, and not in a physical way necessarily, but to stick up for yourself and realize that the level of, of ego, uh, that, that comes from the popularity concept is all just bullshit. And, um, I wish that kind of, that was the approach, but it gets bad when we have these online troll pieces of shit that do cyber bullying and it, it, it really affects people, and I can believe that if, if you are in any type of limelight, if you are any type of popularity level, to get people just bringing you down constantly, especially if you possibly have something previous of a mental disorder, that it could be completely just belittling and, and, and destructive. Um, so very unfortunate with the situation itself. I hate bullying. Um, it's just something that happens. And, you know, if anyone was out there thinking this was funny and this outcome blew you away, you fucking deserve the shitty feeling that you have. And if anyone doesn't feel shitty, you know, I hope whatever happens comes towards you with karma. (sighs) But, uh, Chris, um, any words about uh, Hana? Yeah, it's very unfortunate. I mean, she was seemingly who stardom was going to start building the company around, considered one of the most charismatic people there, um, and and has uh, has been known for kind of working some really good matches with, with some of your gaijin wrestlers like Jamie Hayter and uh, Bea Priestley, which be the match I posted on our Facebook page. So if you go to uh, the Vibes Nation Facebook page, you'll see um, you should see the Bea Priestley match that she had back in September, which was phenomenal. But just recently, um, she held the first – I mean, she was in the very first women's match at the Tokyo Dome. So she was a part of that show, and, and there were some big plans of her becoming the leader of Tokyo uh, Cyber Squad. But uh, she was involved with this – popular i guess uh which i don't know anything about the reality tv show so i can't really speak to what the show is but apparently uh apparently she was involved with uh this reality show called terrace uh terrace house and there was an incident on there um 
And since that instant, I guess she had gotten some hate mail, which basically is like she slapped a guy um, on this reality TV show. And that's when kind of this hate mail started flooding in, I guess, from fans of, of said reality show, which sounds absolutely crazy. Uh, I would remind everyone out there, reality shows are a fucking work. <laughs> so like most of that shit is scripted, so don't take it so damn seriously. Um, the next thing I would remind people is, is, and we've said this on the show many times, like try to be kind to people because you don't know what else they're going through. So online, like maybe don't be such dick. It's okay to have a difference of opinion or, or have a, you know, some sort of temperament, but there's no reason to, uh, you know, verbally attack people. And I think, you know, Joey Ryan kind of summed it up best, surprisingly, which is he just said I couldn't imagine dealing with hate on social media at 22. I can barely handle it now. Some of you should be ashamed of yourselves. Um, so if you're out there and you were part of this, it, you should be ashamed of yourself. Uh, and just a, a outpouring of respect from Natalia, Tessa Blanchard, Chris Cyborg. Um, obviously, a lot of the stardom wrestlers like like Jamie Hayter um, mentioning early. But yes, it's just very sad and unfortunate to, to someone who seemingly would have had a very bright future in stardom. And if you kind of become the top star there, you can, as a female wrestler, you can pretty much work anywhere in the entire world. So it's just really, really unfortunate. I mean, you know, even... Even if it, this wasn't a wrestler, it's a very unfortunate situation. Absolutely. And like we did uh, on our last show for Shad, uh, I'd like to give 10 seconds of respect um, for the passing. All right. Um, I also would like to... Rest in peace to Jerry Salone, uh, American basketball coach, uh, was coach for 23 sa- uh, seasons of the Utah Jazz. I guess you can correlate that with wrestling since somehow he allowed his top player to go wrestle Dennis Rodman on the opposite team in WCW. But uh, just, you know, si- significant person in the sports world. Uh, I heard about it and I actually know who he is, which I think people would think that was crazy, but... So a little bit of uh, rest in peace to him who passed away. And also, since this is the day that uh, Owen passed away, uh, rest in peace to him as well. Uh, We did a, like I said, um, on the episode Dark Side of the Ring on Owen Hart on our last episode, along with NXT and AEW reviews and our predictions for Double or Nothing, which is tonight, because we record this on Saturday. But, um, yeah, Um, you know, heavy uh, way to start the show again, Chris. What are you going to do? Yeah, it's shit's getting real old. <laughs> um, I I don't mean that jokingly. It is just a it's a very depressing way to to start the show, but it's you know it's got to be talked about, unfortunately. Yep. All right. Well, let's talk about some stuff that will definitely raise our spirits with Ron SmackDown. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, this is gonna happen. Uh, just because of consistency, but I will say that there are a lot of aspects of both Raw and SmackDown that I liked, and I had some question marks as well, like normally. So we're going to start off with Raw. Uh, The show opened with uh, Charlie Caruso interviewing Randy Orton in the ring about his challenge from last week. Uh, Randy basically gave the impression to the audience that Edge was at home uh, and just talked directly that he was, you know, scared and a coward and that he wouldn't, 
you know, the, the same heel stuff. And that's why he didn't give him any type of um, direct answer. Well, Edge was there. Uh, he interrupted him. And the two exchange words, like Edge telling him basically that he is one of the most impressive wrestlers that he knows, but he's basically has wasted his talent most of the time and he was handed his career. Something that Randy's been told a lot of times. And there was a point where Randy kind of like wanted to be like, is that all you got? But he got interrupted once again by Edge. Their interactions when it comes to promos is great. Them building stuff is good. Um, but I'm glad that we're getting a normal match with the two of them. My intrigue is just not as as there as it was towards the match building to WrestleMania. And I don't think calling saying, you know, for this one, I'm sure Edge and Ray Orton hate this concept, but promoting it as could be the greatest wrestling match of all time. That is such a loaded fucking concept and really stupid to throw up on there. Um, but I expect these guys to have a good match. And like I said, their words and the way they interact with each other, you can tell they're friends and they're comfortable and both of them are good when they're good, especially edge on the mic. So a uh, good way to open up. But like I said, my, my, uh, my appreciation for this feud has dwindled. And uh, I hate the tagline. I can't stand it. And they're saying it every five fucking seconds. And they have a, a graphic for it. Uh, Chris, do you think this is going to be one of the greatest wrestling matches of all time? Is this just like a rib on the fans for not liking that <laughs> first match? That's kind of what it seems like, right? God. <laughs> um, I think they can have a very good wrestling match. And they did this feud ass backwards they should have had that match the, the wrestlemania match like after their first actual match so it's always weird when you work in reverse like that but uh you know i think this match will be a lot better it's it's going to be more in a wrestling format and uh as far as their promos and the build-up they've been phenomenal like no i don't think anyone had a pro i know that me and you didn't have a problem with the build towards wrestlemania it was more just the uh the actual payoff for it. <laughs> I think exactly. the only thing is that the only thing that I actually complained about about the feud in general is they, you know, debuted Edge and then kind of kept him off TV for a long period of time, which I didn't think was the the best way to push a guy that's just coming back. But uh, outside of that, yeah, I've liked everything about the the feud besides the match. Yeah, I, I'm I'm looking forward to the match. I think they'll have a, a good match to end this on. Hate the tagline, but I'm actually more looking forward. And it's not that I dislike Randy or anything like that. Like, he's a good company guy, and he'll go on to having a good feud with someone else, hopefully afterwards. My level of interest now is what is Edge going to do past Randy Orton? Who's the next opponent um, that, you know, they're going to pair him up with? He doesn't necessarily – he's not supposed to have a, a lot of dates, Chris, but it looks like he's already gone past that with at least appearances and stuff. So are we going to have a situation with Edge where he loves it so much that he's going to pull a Daniel Bryan where it was supposed to be like a part-time schedule and then it becomes not full-time but pretty much the same fucking thing? Do you think that Edge, after Orton, will go into another feud immediately or do you think that we won't see him for a minute um, in between, especially given the pandemic? And who would you like to see him go against after Randy? I guess on Raw. Yeah, that's where it gets weird is, okay, well, what what brand is he going to be on? Um, I, wow, that's a tough one. Who would he go against next? 
I guess Seth Rollins. I think that would be a good matchup for him on Raw. And the other one that yeah. I can think of would be, I mean, Samoa Joe, if they want to want to let him wrestle. That's kind of been a dream match for a long time for a lot of fans to see Edge versus Samoa Joe, guys that were both kind of champions during that time period for different companies. That would be fun. Kevin Owens, you know, he loves Edge. Yeah. Canadian versus Canadian. <laughs> All right, well, uh, you just you just like gave us like his next three feuds. I like that. All of them. I'm like, yeah, dude. <laughs> like when you look at that roster at the top, it's uh, because they're booking Drew McIntyre the way they are. It doesn't really make sense to put Edge there, but no. you can rotate people in and out from Drew McIntyre to Edge. Um, and just build the storylines out maybe across two months as opposed to one. You know, like if he's going to work separate dates, build it out to the next big pay-per-view um, and use him sparingly, which I think I'm fine with because, I mean, we've seen it work for Lesnar and Cena. And, I mean, they know how to do that to some extent uh, when they don't over-fucking-think it. When they don't over-fucking-think it. No shit. Um, yeah, I, I, I like all three of those feuds. Um, I'm very curious. Uh, one, I mean, there is another person, but he's on the other brand. But I, I eventually want to see some storyline. And I don't know if you keep it babyface, babyface, or if you'd switch one heel. But between Daniel Bryan and Edge, because, I mean, these are two of the greatest comebacks in, in a modern professional wrestling. I mean, you have one that was partially trained by Bret Hart, Canadian wrestler. And then you have one that was partially trained by Shawn Michaels, you know, but one's more the explosive, uh, you know, kind of has like the the edge has more of the personality like a Shawn Michaels, as he's shown with the rated R superstar. And Daniel Bryan's more reserved like a Bret Hart. And I'm not saying that you got to bring any of that type of shit into it. But the fact that they both come back, they're both great top wrestlers, um, you know, oh God, maybe a heel edge and a baby face Daniel Bryan in the future would also be a storyline or something I'd like to see play out if he moves to SmackDown, I guess. But I, I, you, you, you picked it, man. I mean, there's a lot of reasons Seth Rollins makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of reasons Samoa Joe makes a lot of sense. And there are a lot of reasons um, why your third person that I can't think of right the fuck now on top of my head. Uh, Kevin Owens. Thank you, Kevin Owens. I know that he 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 really likes Alistair Black, so I could also see him trying to get in a program with Alistair to raise his stock uh, because of their interactions and what he said about him. So that's another person I'll throw from Raw. I think that would be good, too. I don't know if you want to go there right off the bat because Alistair needs the win, right? So um, at least they're buffering it a little bit with having him get some wins over, over Randy and having a strong Rumble appearance. So I wouldn't be totally torn like to pieces if that's the next place they go but how do you get edge to a heel from where he's at right now in between because alistair's like a baby face right now right yeah i think and the thing is you know and you picked out three people even kevin owens you can kind of do something because kevin's so good at bouncing from baby face to heel if you want to do whatever but with alistair he does have to be a straight baby face so i don't know um you could have his whole entire run in theory on Raw as a babyface before he becomes a heel maybe later on on SmackDown by doing something devious. Or you could you could pull that trigger, I guess, on Raw. But, yeah, you're, you're right. He, especially if we get audiences back, 
they're going to want to fucking root for Edge for a long, long time. It's 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 going to be a while before it's accepted. And you could bury Aleister Black, the babyface, by trying to position Edge as a heel because the audience will just not go for it and they'll just keep with Edge. So that's kind of dangerous as well. Yeah, I agree with you. It's a uh, that one's a that one is going to be really weird when if when fans are able to come back to the building, what their reaction to Edge is going to be because we didn't really, unfortunately, um, we didn't really get to see the, uh, the reaction to, to a lot of Edge's stuff because of the pandemic. So um, that was the one thing. I mean, like he got the huge pop at Rumble, and then the next night, next night on Raw, and then he was just gone. Um, so it's just been it's been a bit weird. But uh, yeah, I think all, all of the people we've named would be good feuds, and, and it just frustrates the hell out of me. And I guess we'll get into this a little bit later when we start talking about uh, trades in WWE that they have no kind Ugh. of like established way to move wrestlers. And I know we bitched about this for like three years, and me going back over well since the original brand split. <laughs> but uh, it's uh, like if there was someone for edge to if there was a reason i mean i gotta i mean the thing is you gotta come up with a reason for him to turn heel like honestly i i kind of thought that maybe you could i mean you could go this route i don't think they will you could have him lose to randy orton and then they have a mutual respect and then do a tag team together and maybe that could be something that would turn edge heel but they don't care about their tag yeah so uh i don't know man it's a tough one <laughs> hmm. I like it though. I, I just like the options that they have. Um, yeah, but that will be fun to see play out. And like I said, not trying to down the whole entire thing, but due to what happened with the match itself at Mania after that large of a buildup, and also due to the comments that Edge said on Corey Gray's podcast, I've kind of been a little bit on simmer, if you will, for this feud, but I'm sure that they will end it with a, a, a good match. I will just say that's probably not going to be one of the greatest wrestling matches of all time. I mean, we don't know that. <laughs> Maybe it will be. <laughs> I think it's a uh, it's a little presumptive to say that kind of shit, but. <laughs> Uh, maybe it will be. Who knows? I'm hoping it will be. I would love to see the greatest wrestling match of all time. Pretty sure I already saw it, but we'll uh, <laughs> we'll see. Yep. Man. It's gonna it should be a good damn match. I mean, Randy Orton's good. Edge is good. They they have chemistry together. Um, just don't ask them to hit each other with shit for 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah, a wrestling match. the fucking. <laughs> ugh, yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, I buried the uh, Moxley and. If you remember, I buried the Moxley and Omega match for kind of the same thing. It was, too. It was just they hit shit, each other with shit <laughs> for a long time, and it didn't seemingly have any reason uh, reasoning behind the mythology of the match itself. Uh, so that I mean, that's part of the problem. I've seen great hardcore matches. There's ways to do it, but that was not one I would put on the list. Yeah, I think stuff involving like Sabu and or maybe Abyss uh, later on, or or maybe actually Sabu and Abyss's matches. You know, obviously Cactus Jack. There's a way to make it interesting, but there's also a way to make it just kind of all right. Well, why are we injuring these guys this badly with this many weapons, especially in a case like this where there's no fucking audience? Like, I don't know. It's also it was just also really weird to do that match first. Uh, like 
like I said, you kind of started the feud backwards. That would be that should be the match ending the feud, not the one fucking beginning the feud if you were going to continue it. Another person I just thought of um, for Edge, if Roman, Roman Reigns comes back, you could do Roman Reigns versus Edge. Yeah, which could be uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, that one's. I, I agree that would be an awesome match, and I think it's kind of. It's more than just the spear versus the spear type of thing. Like, they always try to fucking angle shit like that of. It just, when is Roman coming back, obviously, is a question behind that. Uh, we'll have to wait and uh, find out. But uh, his old shield buddy, Seth Rollins, I got to admit, Chris, a little bit with this craziness of him being all wigged out last week. And this time, it, it feels like he did like a DMT journey or some shit. Maybe listen to Joe Rogan. Uh, Seth is enlightened. He, he now seems to be a different way. He approached Murphy and, and hugged him, uh, whereas last time it, it looked like Seth had seen a ghost and, you know, apparently beat Rey Mysterio out of rage uh, and didn't realize it until afterwards. But we've talked about that from uh, last week. But uh, Seth Rollins, uh, you know, basically spoke. And uh, at the end of it, after, after talking to Rey Mysterio, told him that he was, you know, said, you're welcome. Uh, from the bottom of his heart. So they're positioning him differently. I don't know what the fuck uh, direction. You know, I heard, I think it was Brian and Vinny they were talking about it. Maybe it was Brian and, um, what the hell is his host on the main show? I can't remember. But, you know, comparing it, a lot of people are saying, is this really smart to be trying to do at the same time that AEW is doing the Brody Lee gimmick? But I think that those are kind of very different um styles and presentation um or is this too close to the cm punk uh you know straight edge society or the one that he did you know with raven before that um you know where what where are they going but i think they're giving it a little bit of originality is what i'm trying to say um during this alberto carrillo basically had a huge problem with him saying the shit and he wanted to go against murphy I don't know why no one's trying to go for Rollins since he's the one who actually did this, but I guess that's the cool thing about having a cult leader and followers. You can get them to do your dirty work. And they had a match. Murphy uh, defeated Humberto Carrillo. Carrillo was uh, distracted a bunch by Rollins throughout the whole thing, uh, which allowed Murphy to hit him with a knee strike and then the Murphy's Law to win. I really love Buddy Murphy in the ring. He's awesome. And uh, following the match, uh, Aleister Black came out. And was fucking furious. Went after Buddy Murphy. Seth Rollins uh, dodged the whole place. And it looks like they're setting up Seth Rollins in the future against um, Aleister Black. That's what I'm I'm assuming. But how would you like this? I like this direction of Seth Rollins a lot more than I liked just the straight Messiah with AOP and... uh buddy murphy i think it does give him a little bit more to his character and it's not to me it's nothing like the Brady lee gimmick outside of they both kind of have a little cult right but i mean is it really a cult if there's only one person in your group it's more like it's just your bro <laughs> well i guess austin theory is there now too right so yeah maybe they're fleshing that thing back out i just thought i just i just see this entire thing as a way that for them to get seth rollins turned back as a baby face that's kind of what it seems like and i mean i think that that goes into you know obviously becky's pregnancy announcement and we kind of got into that uh, a few shows ago but yep. uh 
as far as like the uh, the overall story arc right now, I think they're doing more interesting things with Seth Rollins right now than they've done in a while. I like this uh, kind of loose cannon esque Brian Pillman thing that he's got going on. Um, it is weird with the Humberto Carrillo stuff, but it's like. I don't know. If I lost to everyone in the entire company, I probably wouldn't want to go against Seth Rollins either. <laughs> I'm being completely yeah. honest. That's a good point. <laughs> I mean, fucking poor guy. Like every time I see him in a match, I know he's just gonna lose. And I know they try to like cover it up by it being uh, him being distracted. But what's the fucking end game with Ocho Carrillo? That I have more questions about that than I do Seth Rollins actually. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> Like Seth Rollins is gonna be fine. Like uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff they could do with that. I mean, t- you could have once his group finally comes back officially. So let's say AOP's healthy, you could have that entire group get taken over by Buddy Murphy or or even Austin Theory, depending on what they want to do with Austin Theory. Um, and that be the reason you turn Seth babyface, and he can just go crazy in the opposite way. There's a lot of fun stuff that you can do out of that. And one thing I think that we're, you know, not forgetting but not mentioning is the fact that kind of like even though he's older, obviously, and has more experience, but Jericho being involved in the inner circle helps out all those guys, especially the younger ones. Having Buddy Murphy and now Austin Theory, especially based on his age, under the the uh, the, the guide of, of Seth Rollins can't be bad for them at all. Uh, with Humberto – I feel like what they can do is just have Angel Garza try to like reason with him and, you know, have him go heel and do something dastardly for Selena's group and just switch him up and put the mask back on him. And and I don't know if they're going to do um, I forgot what his name used to be, but they don't have to do that persona exactly, but just make him more of a badass, um, you know, than this this clean baby face and put him with their group. But um, with Seth. Do you think that it's going to be inevitably a feud between him and Aleister Black? That that's at least what they look like they're positioning. That seems like the current, yeah. That that seems like where they're going with this, and it kind of makes the most sense. I would assume that Aleister would get the better of this feud, because um, it seems like they're doing a, a better job of building Aleister now, uh, as of late, minus that weird thing where he didn't help Rey Mysterio last week. <laughs> But I think that he was just supposed to be kind of in shock, I guess. I don't know. I thought that was kind of silly. But, uh, yeah, that would make the most sense to me right now with Seth. And then you can move him on to, like I said, someone like Edge. Or if Kevin Owens comes back, we can revisit that. Yeah, definitely sounds good. All right, so King Corbin uh, entered. Raw, uh, Chris, and was demanding stuff from everyone, you know, wondering where his special room was, his special locker room and whatnot. And he's ready to take down Drew McIntyre, which I'm not going to lie. I actually like their match at the end of the night, but we'll, we'll get to that. We also had Liv Morgan cut a promo saying she learned uh, from her match with Charlotte and she won't give up. She's doing these baby face promos. She's not doing them wrong. She looks like she's actually emotionally invested in them. I just don't really care, and I kind of feel bad because I want her to succeed, and I don't think the promos are bad. It's just, all right, you're, you're going to do it. Then fucking do it. I don't know. Uh, How would you feel about these, Chris? Well, that's be- – I mean, a lot of that has to do with the fact that Raw built their women's division around one female wrestler, and everyone else kind of was an afterthought. So it's going to take some time to get 
to get someone like Liv Morgan up to the level where where you would would care more, like meaningful wins, for instance, like if she beat Carrie Zane or Asuka, um, or hell got a surprise win over uh, Shayna. But that's that's part of the problem. And WWE does this; they make their their top uh, very top heavy with one or two people, and then they're like, I don't know what the fuck we're gonna do next. I guess we got to build a star, and. Uh, <laughs> They're not the best at that, but I, I think Liv's promos was pretty good, and uh, you know at least they're not continuing where we were at a few months ago with her, Lana, and Rusev and Bobby Lashley. This is a much better spot for both Liv and Bobby Lashley <laughs> and Rusev, even though he got fired. And La- oh wait a minute, no, that's not really good for her. She just screams in the back now with with brown hair and. Uh... Anyways, we'll get to a lot of later on. Uh, so we had a match when Charlotte came down and basically laid that. Um, I don't exactly know why she actually called out Ruby Riot. It was it was something I, I can't remember her wording, but she was basically saying that like you know she heard that Ruby believed that she could beat her or, or something on those lines or uh, could have beaten her in the past when they've had matches. But she called out Ruby Riot. Uh, they actually had a pretty good match. Um, and uh, Flair won with the uh, figure eight, you know, kind of sort of thing. And I realized that if they actually had a fucking cool women's division uh, for, 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 for tags, for tags, what the hell is wrong with me? God, sorry about that. This is, it's uh, it's one twenty one, but I'm going to pretend it's like 8 a.m. right now. Anyways, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I just if they actually had a good tag division for for the the, the women wrestlers, you know, you could really have a cool uh, tag team with Ruby Riot and our friend that we were uh, uh, gushing about from NXT. Um, and I'm, 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 fu- yeah, man, Shotzi. Shotzi. They could have, they could have, they could have a really ruthless, badass punk girl tag team. But I don't ever want to see them in a tag team because then I'll know that they're not going to be doing shit with them. Uh, not that they're doing much with Ruby Riot, but she had a pretty good match with Charlotte. How'd you like this? Charlotte is literally on every fucking product, so me and you are happy, but so many bitchy WWE fans get the bitch more, and I love it. I just I drink their tears, kind of like how Cartman did with Scott Tennerman after he told him he ate his parents. Like, oh, tears, it's so great, it's healthy and lovely. Sorry. I mean, if if you should be mad at the WWE, not Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I would say to those fans. <laughs> the reason she's on every product is because she is at the moment, the biggest star in the women's division because Becky stepped out. So they're going to put her wherever they can to try to elevate other people like this match while Charlotte won. Um, the idea is to give her a meaningful win <laughs> headed into the NXT show. And then the buildup for that, you know, triple threat match and in which Charlotte is probably going to be putting someone over there. So, like, complaining about it, it's, it seems weird to me because the end goal is to put over Rhea Ripley, <laughs> which Charlotte seems like she's had no problem doing as far as, like, as far as working with her thus far. So, I, I don't know. Charlotte's probably the best female wrestler they have on the, the, the main roster, if not in the company in general. I mean, Asuka is fucking great, but they got to get that character back to where it was a year and a half ago. Yeah, which they did all that damage themselves. Uh, what are you going to do? All right, so um, we had MVP. He came up to Bobby Lashley again in an interview, 
and reiterated uh, his question for Bobby, uh, asking Lashley, is he going to let Lashley free? <laughs> and basically insinuating with Lana, uh, uh, he said he'd see him later tonight and he'd be in his corner. Um, like I said, and where it goes later on, I mean, this is a good opponent, I think, for Drew uh, with Bobby and the, and the concept. Um, I'm not going to expect exquisite work with the two of them, but, you know, as far as a big guy that Drew can get through, I think Bobby Lashley is definitely one of them. And I like the pairing with MVP. Even Bobby in his promos, he seems like he's just more intense and pissed off, and but still, like, you know, a hell of a lot better than, like you said, like, a couple months ago where, where his position was with the fucking company live in front of a bunch of people. But, um, yeah, man, um, we also had a segment uh, with the Kabuki Warriors. Uh, they attempted to celebrate Asuka's Raw Women's Championship. Um, Nia Jax interrupted and insulted them. Uh, she grabbed Carrie saying, I swear to God, just threw her fucking down into, like, one of those work cases and shit like that. It's like, can you just not touch her, please, Nia? For the love of God. So Asuka attacked her. Uh, later in the night, uh, Naya found uh, Akari Sane backstage and attacked her. Oh, yeah, that, that's when that happened. I'm sorry. So she first assaulted, then Asuka attacked her, and then Akari uh, was playing like a flute later on, and uh, Naya found her backstage, attacked her, which caused Asuka to find and attack uh, Jax again. So it looks like they're positioning the two of those ladies against each other. Like I said, can Naya just not touch Akari Sane? How'd you like MVP uh, courting Bobby Lashley? And how'd you like the uh, interaction between Nia Jax and the Kabuki Warriors? Well, with uh, with MVP and Bobby Lashley, I really like this pairing. I like they're getting him away from Lana, like I said earlier. And he does make a good opponent for Drew. That's probably the most in- interesting match I can think of with Bobby Lashley right now. But him having a manager and MVP, a guy that's really good on the mic. I think goes a long way. I, if with Bobby Lashley, they're if they go straight to the the Drew McIntyre feud, I think that'll probably end up being his best WWE match as far as this run goes. But Mm -hmm. I don't know where they go with him afterwards. I mean, they they hardly ever even talk about the mid-card title on Raw, it seems like. That division's not very strong, so I don't... Basically, what do you do with Bobby Lashley after this feud? I don't know, man. And you're right, because Andrade barely fucking represents the U.S. title. I don't think he's defended it in a long time, but I don't know. That's, that's, a, that's a very good question. Um, are you... Uh, were you worried when... Naya kind of ragdolled Kari Sane in the in the back in that segment because it looked like she just threw her head into a fucking case. <laughs> uh, I think that's I think I, I think that that was planned out. They're just playing off of that botch of Naya being. I I love that like Naya fucking up is what gets her into storylines. It seems like yeah, <laughs> like but it seems like they're playing into that and the fans' outrage of her dropping carry on her fucking neck in that buckle bomb spot um so there it seems like they're just tying that into the storyline and uh so far i've liked the build maybe this is what uh flips the switch in oscar and makes her go back to her nxt killing ways i want to see her destroy her i think it would be awesome um yeah so bobby lashley went against our truth 
Uh, our truth was out there beforehand, uh, making threats to Tom Brady to get the 24-7 championship back. <laughs> uh, talking about his, his idol, John Cena, once again, and calling out Bobby Lashley. Uh, Lashley came out and won with – I like his new submission of the full Nelson. I, it's not – and it hasn't been done in a while, but with someone that size and the way that you just gyrate it, it looks very effective. Our uh, truth pulled out the pretty Ricky thing, and he was calling him Devo during the match. That was pretty fucking funny as well. Uh, <laughs> I love our truth man. I just wish that he could get a bump. But he knows he's in it for this type of stuff, and I just thought it was hilarious to call out Tom Brady. But obviously, uh, Bobby Lashley won. MVP clapped from stage, and then you saw Lana freaking the fuck out in the back. How would you like this match with Bobby Lashley and our truth it was a decent match, and our truth is fucking hilarious. And I, like I said, I still like the tie-in with MVP, um, and obviously the separation of Lana from from Bobby Lashley. But uh, the match itself, it, it was a decent TV match. And our truth is awesome. That fucking Tom Brady shit. I had to like Google to see if Tom Brady was actually the champion. So I didn't find out. Is he actually? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think I think they're doing the R Truth stupid, so he's getting Gronk mixed up with Brady. Yeah, that's what I was thinking as well. But I, but it's the twenty four seven title, so who the fuck knows? Like Kyle Bush won it, and then no one knew for like two days because they forgot to air the footage of it. <laughs> Jesus Christ! So so <laughs> I don't. That title's so fucking weird. But R Truth, uh, hey, oh man, he uh. He, he took lemons and made lemonade with that that whole thing, and it's worked out well for him. And even though he's more of a comedic role, and that bothers both of us because we know how damn good he actually is, uh, it's still he's still a pleasure to watch each week. Yeah, he holds it down as as a comedic force and is always entertaining, and that's you know obviously needed. But he's had a pretty damn good career, so. Uh, Anyways, let's keep on going. The Women's Tag Team Championship match, we had Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross champions going against Iconics. Um, they won uh, because of disqualification when Peyton Royce wouldn't stop throwing Bliss into the ring post. Later backstage, Billy Kay slapped Royce in the face and then felt bad about it, and they hugged. Guess what I'm about to say, Chris? Actually, don't worry. I don't nope. care! There you go. <laughs> I was going to go with no one gives a shit, but <laughs> but we're on the same uh, same path. I mean, they've already had these teams feud before, and the roles haven't reversed where one is now a heel team. It's the same exact fucking storyline. So yeah. who, who, who gives a shit? Maybe build some new tag teams. Take yeah, some of I these... T- take someone like Santana Garrett and put her with another female wrestler, and then you have a new tag team. Like, mm-hmm. build the division a little bit so at least there it's not, okay, we're going to have a singles match with interference, we're going to have another singles match with interference, then we're going to have this tag match, and then we're going to do this for, like, the next five months because we only have two tag teams. <laughs> it's terrible. And that's why we don't give a shit. <laughs> at least that's why I don't give a shit, because we've already been down this road and there is no other contenders. But, like, the end result is that, like, they swap the belts back and forth and just feud with each other forever, and the fans are not chanting fight forever. Fight forever, clap, clap. Here's actually a really important question, Chris. 
does MVP and Taz go to the same Taylor? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. They always have the same exact outfit. Maybe they have the, the same stylist. Then. Yeah, I don't know. Is Taz living in Miami now? Is that is that what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Oh, oh, Miami Jones over here. Uh, anyways, I miss when Taz used to wear like the orange, like like his trunks used to be those fucking bright ass orange suits. Awesome. And then they would like show him on commentary, and he'd be next to like Michael Cole or some shit. You'd be like, "This looks fucking weird." <laughs> what is that pumpkin sitting next to Michael Cole? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. It's great. He should bring that shit back. Bring back the orange suit, Taz. Old orange gimmick Jones over here. All right. Um. So yeah, the next match was Shayna Baszler going against Natalia. Kind of, kind of sloppy, but also kind of, I mean, just a grapple-based match. Uh, it wasn't going to be good for Natalia because once again, Shayna Baszler beat her with the Carafuda clutch. Uh, it was a submission match. Um, and uh, if I didn't say that. Um, and after the match, Natalia threw another tantrum. Uh, good win for Shayna Baszler. Especially since I'm sure Natalia is somewhat working with her, like they like she does everyone at the beginning of the run. Uh, she's kind of like the uh, the gatekeeper. But uh, I don't know where they're going with Natalia throwing fits and tantrums after she loses. Uh, where do you think that's going, Chris? I mean, hopefully she's going to find a tag partner and try to win the tag titles. <laughs> it's like, uh, I, I mean, this would be. One of Natalia's mini heel turns. That's where I think they're going. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's like, why not? I, she she hasn't done it in a while. It's always like the big show with her, you know? Yeah, and I mean, part of that is, like you said, she's kind of the gatekeeper. So they're just going to flip-flop her whenever they need to. But usually when a wrestler pitches a tantrum like that, that's when they start cheating to win and become a heel. So I'm assuming that's probably where, they, where they're going with it. All right, so we had Kevin Owens. Uh, he returned to host the Kevin Owens show, called out Selena Vega and her group. Um, and uh, for some reason, and I didn't really like it because I've liked the way they positioned Kevin Owens uh, as a badass. You know, I know he's got this comedic side to him, and he can be at least as, as a heel, somewhat chicken shit, but I didn't like that he was chilling on the apron while all three of them. Like, obviously, yeah, that, that, that confrontation would happen, but I would think that the way they built him with Seth Rollins, especially, you know, he wouldn't be fucking trying to just chill on the apron. That seems like something he would do when he was a heel. Anyways, um, but uh, he, he revealed that Apollo Crews uh, was also a guest and he was back um, better than ever. And uh, Crews and him attacked the heels that led directly into a tag match in which Kevin Owens and Apollo Crews defeated Angel Andrade. Austin Theory tried to interfere, but hit Garza on accident, allowing Cruz to hit uh, his throwing powerbomb for the win. After the match, Andrade and Garza jumped Theory and kicked him out of the group. Uh, where are they going with Kevin Owens, Chris? Uh, how did you like the match itself? They're, they're definitely – I don't know why they took him out or if, if he legit got injured and now he's over it. Or I don't I don't really know why they took Apollo Cruz basically out of the uh, – the the money in the bank match but it looks like they're still doing good things with them and now austin theory is out of selena's group yeah and i I mean austin theory leaving that group to me with how they kind of set it up and some of his tweets points to like you know joining seth's group 
potentially. Um, Kevin Owens, where do I start? <laughs> God damn it. Uh, it seems like they're cooling him off. Maybe they're not going to give him that same push that he was getting for whatever reason. I mean, fuck. They, God, I, the only place you can, the only thing you can really do with Kevin Owens is move him to SmackDown. I mean, otherwise, like, I don't know. Could be, who, who the hell would he, who is he, like, how does he get to Drew McIntyre is the question. And how do you build that feud? when you're giving Drew kind of the Roman Reigns-esque push where he's like the dominant top baby face. Everyone else is blow him. I guess, you know, you can do the Andrade match, but what do you do with Kevin Owens after that? Whereas if you moved him to SmackDown, I think there's some more options because you kind of, you have a top heel in, in Bray Wyatt. It's not a champion. You don't want to recycle Seth and Kevin again. I don't know what they're doing with him. <laughs> But uh, we'll. I mean, hopefully this was just we have to set up a match for Kevin Owens. So this is what we're gonna do in short amount of time of writing, is my guess. Maybe if he's sticking around longer, Chris. Maybe uh, like we were talking about, maybe Edge's next opponent will be Kevin Owens, and they're gonna flip him heel. I also something that I could see them doing at least. Yeah. I mean, he did just turn babyface, like, what, six months ago, but who's counting? <laughs> I know. No, I... Him and Natalia, they just, like, <laughs> go in the back and flip a coin every five months, apparently. I mean, you could have Kevin Owens do the same gimmick and be a, a you know, a heel, I guess. I He doesn't, he doesn't really need the Austin gimmick if they're going to book it the way they've been booking it anyways. This is another thing that we, like I said, where we talk about the draft... This is where if you have a character like Kevin Owens, at least you have a reason why he would be having these different types of matches where someone just dislikes him, like whatever team he's on. I think they really need to look at maybe having GMs, but not in the same sense they've done in the past, just GM talent roster GMs or whatever, kind of like in, in football or any other sport we've talked about previously. Because in, in that scenario... You can go the route of like a Vince McMahon with Kevin Owens. You give him that top guy to to, to feud against to, to some extent. Um, and, and a reason why he would be having matches with these guys because he beat Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins got a title shot. The obvious answer would be Kevin Owens should also get a title shot, but they're not going to do that match. Nope. Yeah, really, really damn... Makes you think that maybe someone's looking at the dates and watching them go by, if you will. <laughs> Some of them are doing it from home, like Sami Zayn. <laughs> yep. There's rumors out there that he's just uh, uh, trying to get fired at this point. Oh, man. I wouldn't doubt it, man. I really wouldn't. Uh, Jesus. All right. So next we had Drew McIntyre, who basically said he was going to kick King Corbin's ass. Yeah, I don't know if he said it that aggressively, but that's usually, you know, the Braveheart thing. So Alisha Black went against Murphy. He uh, defeated him, but that's because of disqualification. We had a lot of DQs tonight, I'm realizing, after going over this. Weird. Austin Theory um, was at ringside, and Seth Rollins came up to him and hugged him and said that, that he wanted to recruit him and told him that he needed his help. So he convinced Theory to attack Black. 
on Rollins' command, uh, drawing a DQ after the match. Theory and Murphy beat up Black, and Rollins hugged Theory. And now, like we said, Theory is a part of their group. Uh, I have no problem with any of this. Like I said, Seth Rollins is pretty damn good. <laughs> it's not bad for two guys that are much younger, especially Austin Theory. You know, this is great for Austin Theory to be able to learn under Seth and be already on the main card. Um, so, yeah, I guess I, I like this pairing better than, than Zelina's group. And I wonder if that means that if they get a third member, we're going to have a three-on-three. I don't know how that would work since they're both heel groups, but we'll have to wait until that happens. I feel like Theory is going to want some retribution for getting his ass kicked, though. But how did you like this match? And uh, how do you like Theory uh, with Seth Rollins and Buddy Murphy? I like that pairing better. And I think that, you know, now you have two options to turn on Seth Rollins in this group or maybe both of them, and then you have two great matches for Seth Rollins if you decide to flip him babyface. <laughs> so I actually like it a lot. Uh, the match itself was was pretty good, but like you said, there was a lot of DQs on the show. Um, the beatdown was believable from the group, so not, not too much to complain about in this. Yeah, I agree. Not much to complain about at all. Um... A number of st- uh, segments involving the Street Profits and Viking Raiders and a game of axe-throwing aired. Uh, the Vikings were good at it, and the Profits were not. It turns out Angela Dawkins is secretly a great axe-thrower. However, uh, Montez Ford accidentally threw an axe into a police car windshield, uh, and the police let them off the warning because she was uh, attracted to Ivar, uh, but not Eric, which was duly noted. What the fuck is this shit? <laughs> I don't know, but this is better than most of the comedy stuff they do, so I'm going to give them a little bit of a pass. I, I was slightly entertained by this. It was funny, but it's like, kind of part of me is like, you have to have Montez Ford throw an, an, an axe at a police car. Jesus Christ. I mean, I guess that, you know, the, it seems like they they realized that whatever they were doing with the Viking Raiders before is just making them a dominant team wasn't working. So they're trying to find another element to that tag team, which isn't a bad, bad Making idea. Them yeah. Uh, trying to give them, uh, trying to find their next Otis for Raw, I guess, to, to oh, some extent. Jesus Christ. Well, oh yeah. All right, that's all I got. Apollo <laughs> Crews will challenge Andrade for the U.S. title um, next week. I could actually see him getting it. I mean, I like Andrade. He's had the U.S. title, I feel like, 50 million fucking times. So I have no problem if they give Apollo his first title, I believe, on the main product. Um, If they want to build him like that, they can give reason for, you know, maybe uh, Austin Theory causes it, you know, something like that. But it should be a good match between the two of them for sure. Are you looking forward to seeing Apollo Crews and Andrade next week? I am, and I think it would actually be a smart move to put that title on Apollo Cruz and try to build up your mid-card. Um, and you can work in the Austin Theory thing. He just got a beat down. He can cost Andrade, you know, the title, and then you have a great match with Austin Theory and Andrade. It's just weird because Seth's group is also heel, and he joined them, but he also did just get beat down by this other heel group. Supremacy! Yeah. Well, I mean, he could just be pissed off that he got a beat down and that could be the storyline. And it's just uh, my faith in WWE pulling that off correctly. Not, <laughs> not, not very high. 
But uh, I think getting that title off Andrade is is to some extent a st- smart move because that's another opponent that you could have uh, for Drew McIntyre to have more of a feud, I should say. Yeah, I agree. All right, so we have the WWE Championship match with Drew McIntyre and uh, King Corbin. I gotta say, I, I like this match. Um, it was very a paint by numbers. All, both of them got all their shit in style match, but they both worked pretty well with each other. And uh, um, yeah, before the match, MVP and Lashley uh, came out. They interrupted and they said they were coming for McIntyre and his WWE Championship. And um, they watched the match. It just, like I said, there was a lot of the same type of stuff brawling on the outside McIntyre getting the better of Baron Corbin, Baron Corbin coming back with some heel tactics. Uh, of course he went for the Claymore and I knew right away it was going to be the, um, the spinning maneuver, uh, that, that Baron Corbin always applies there. And, uh, yeah, he, uh, you know, headbutted him in the face and then slowly after that got the Claymore, but, um, pretty good match. And Baron Corbin gets to go back home to SmackDown with nothing. He, fucking lost uh, this, and he fucking lost the IC title. There is no reason to put him in anything major, because obviously he can't do it. So, uh, give him something else. Well, that's, that's all I got to say. Give him, they should give him the murder champion award-like belt. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Best at toss, tossing people off high things. <laughs> belt. <laughs> then the fucking Undertaker will show up. <laughs> I'm the Lord of Darkness. Um, I thought this was a, a pretty damn good Raw match, honestly. And I loved the Claymore into the uh, Deep Six, which Absolutely. I kind of knew, knew it was coming too, but that, that move is... <laughs> Baron Corbin's like signature and his finisher are fucking both awesome. <laughs> so whenever someone can work in you know, that reversal spot with him, that's like always a high spot in the match that's fun to watch. The rest of it was, you know, it reminded me a lot of Roman versus Corbin, but I liked that match as well it's just as long as corbin's not constantly in the main event i don't have as much of a problem with him you know if they were to put him in a tag team with someone that can be extremely unlikable and they're already building him like that uh him and sheamus would be a pretty good heel tag team and i think they can get heat yeah and i mean corbin is almost like kane except they kept him in the main event picture too long but you could just also have corbin be like just book corbin like kane for the next bazillion years he's like kind of can be that upper mid card guy to help put over someone like a drew mcintyre it's just you got to be careful of over utilizing him and they they did that for so fucking long on raw yep all right well that was raw like i said i actually liked a, a good majority of raw um actually i i don't think i had a problem with Almost anything that they set up other than Kevin Owens now being positioned in a in I don't know what way, but we'll find out. And I just didn't care about the uh, the women's tag title match, but uh, pretty good shit. Uh, ready to move to SmackDown, Chris? Yes, sir. All right. Well, we had SmackDown last night and uh, I watched it and then had to kind of go over the highlights of it. Because I might have drank a couple alcoholic beverages last night. It was Friday, and I'm an adult, and I can do that. So there you go. Anyways, the show opened with The Miz and John Morrison uh, making fun of Braun Strowman. Why would I? Here's the thing about this. I'm going to say this right off the bat. Are these two guys? I mean, I know that we're supposed 
to know that they're idiots, but they decide to, on their show, pick a fight and make fun of Braun Strowman and Bray Wyatt. That doesn't seem like a really intelligent thing to do, but I guess they're not supposed to be the intelligent heels, especially with what John Morrison ends up doing to The Miz. But um, he, uh, they, they, had, they made fun of Braun Strowman. They had rejected puppets from the Firefly Funhouse. Nothing memorable. Strowman interrupted, and Morrison volunteered Miz for a one-on-one match. One of those same scenarios with the tag team guys like, yo, yeah, well, my partner could kick your ass and blah, 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 blah. It's kind of like how the, you hear those stories of the girlfriend that, that gets in the fight and then it's like, hey, boyfriend, go beat his ass sort of thing. But, um, yeah, the Universal Champion Braun Strowman defeated The Miz, uh, kind of toy with them. But then you have The Miz who's who's constantly, you know, doing heel things and has Morrison to interrupt him. But, uh, you know, got that power slam on him. And after the match, Morrison challenged Strowman to a two-on-one handicap match for the Universal Championship belts at Backlash. And I have no idea what the fuck that, that – okay. So obviously we're just trying to like like simmer on the uh, the Bray Wyatt thing, and we're going to come back to it after this shit show. But um, I, I don't understand the tag against one person to get the belts and share them. Um, I would have had no problem if it was the uh, New Day for some reason, but this uh, – no. I, I, I just don't see it happening. Uh, how would you like the opening – and this match with Braun Strowman and The Miz. Ooh. So the match was okay. It was what I thought it was going to be, which is just Braun destroying The Miz after, you know, fuckery by Morrison, which is what happened. Uh, the promo segment was was decent. Nothing really to write home about. I guess the idea behind this is with Morrison positioning The Miz, like, basically putting that challenge out there, it could be that they're splitting those two. And that might be, you know, part of the finish of that backlash match. Cause uh, I don't know, maybe they mm. see they can some, there's something more they can do with Morrison. Maybe they uh, got a hold of some of his other work and other companies where he was booked. Maybe they're intelligent. <laughs> I mean, nothing against the Miz and it was fun to have the dirt sheet reunion, but uh I think I think the I think the world is done with it now, right? We'd be okay with Morrison maybe having a bigger role on the roster, going against someone like AJ Styles, for instance. Fuck yeah, I would. And Miz is always going to be there. I mean, Miz has already made his accolades and has been in a shorter time than Morrison. And even though Morrison did great outside of WWE, yeah, I want, dude. If if he was going to be a kind of not a lackey, but just a tag team. Guy with the Miz, I wish he went to AEW. And I know he was contemplating on what the hell he's going to do. Some of him wanted to go to New Japan. Some of him wanted, and I mean, we talked to him about that, you know, a couple years back when he was part of uh, AAA Lucha Underground and um, and Impact all at the same time. You know, he's a hardworking son of a bitch. And uh, God, some part of me, you know, even though they're not treating him terribly or like he's entry level or anything like that. It just seems like, God, he could have really been big in AEW, or it would have been awesome to see Morrison go over and have amazing matches with Takahashi and Will Ospreay and shit. I mean, they could also just left him in NXT when he showed up and made that appearance and then never actually wrestled in NXT. Like, that would have been... There's a lot of good opponents there. They could have... uh, Absolutely. elevated their fucking roster a bit by having him there uh he's a great wrestler so 
I'm hoping that this is just ending the the dirt sheet. They do a feud with maybe him and Miz for a little bit, and then we move on to uh, this IC tournament, which I, I I'm thinking AJ Styles is probably going to win this entire thing, and you could do Morrison versus AJ Styles, and now you have like a great mid card feud, but it's WWE, so probably not. So yeah, and and so far we have. Daniel Bryan, who won last week against Drew Gulak, he's advanced, and he will be going against whoever wins, and we'll talk about, obviously, the winner with Jeff Hardy, but between Jeff Hardy and Sheamus. On the other side, we have Shinsuke going against AJ, the match next that we're about to talk about, uh, and, you know, Elias beat Corbin last week to be able to advance. So, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. I feel like you could go either way and have some pretty cool matches but AJ is definitely beating, like, if they fucking traded AJ Styles, which officially he's traded SmackDown now. If they traded AJ Styles, they put him in this tournament. It's the only title that he has not achieved within there to be a Grand Slam champion. And they have fucking Elias. And I like Elias. But if Elias beats him in this tournament, I will. It's just another disconnect. Um, I'm sure he's going to advance. Question is, do you have Daniel Bryan go against him? for the last match, or do you have Jeff Hardy go against him? Either way, he's worked with both guys. I mean, both of them are awesome in concept. Uh, I, I do like the the inevitable ending for the IC tournament between AJ and DB, or AJ and Brother Nero. Uh, hmm. That is a good question. I guess personally... I guess, I guess you could have Sheamus... Fuck it up for Jeff Hardy. I mean, that would make sense. Well, Sheamus well, wasn't that the wasn't that the main event of this show? Jeff Hardy yeah, versus Sheamus. Sheamus or Sheamus got rolled up by Jeff Hardy. He was pissed off, so then he comes out and then next week attacks Jeff Hardy while he's going against Daniel Bryan and causes him the match to have Daniel Bryan go on against AJ Styles after beating Elias. Basically, is what I'm yeah. Doing. When you present it like that, yeah, it makes sense that they would just have Jeff Hardy get screwed over by Sheamus and Daniel Bryan advance. But I don't know, unless they're trying to keep this tournament pure, if they're trying to do that, I I kind of the match I would rather see would be AJ versus Jeff Hardy, because we don't know if we're ever going to get to see that match again. I mean, yeah, AJ's locked up long term and Jeff Hardy's probably on his way out at the end of this contract, I would think. So that would be the match I would prefer to see. But either either match will be good. What would be cool if they're going to do that, if he screws him over? What if all right, you got a ref bump next week? Seamus comes out and at first kind of just just uh, going back to and it, it sucks you don't have an audience because it would be such a difference if you did have an audience. But. Sheamus goes and bro kicks the shit out of Daniel Bryan immediately, and people and you're like, what the fuck? And then he does the same thing to Jeff Hardy and just drags Daniel Bryan on top of Jeff Hardy. You can set up future stuff with Sheamus and Daniel Bryan down the line that way, and obviously you have your feud with with him and Jeff Hardy, and there's some stuff from the past that throws off the people watching it. That's how I would fucking do it, Chris. But Jeff Hardy versus AJ sounds the coolest in general, though. Yeah, I mean, it, what you just laid out is the perfect way to do it. When's the last time WWE did a ref bump, though? It's been a um, while. Earl Hefner. 
I don't know. I'm just <laughs> it's it's been a while. I think that's a that's a thing that they should. I mean, I'm sure they've done it on NXT, and I'm just forgetting, but that's something they don't do on the main roster at all, and it's something they used to do all of the time. Now they just like have fuckery and the refs an idiot, kinda. That's the best thing to do. Uh, well, we'll find out, but uh, I should say AJ had a match with Shinsuke, um, and they did have a pretty good back-and-forth match. The guys do have chemistry with each other, Shins- but this kind of just devalues Shinsuke more, and we've already kind of talked about that um, at length, but whatever. I really love that new move that Shinsuke does, or maybe he used to do it in Japan. He kind of just recently in the last year brought it, where he positions a person in the ropes um, between the second rope and the top rope with their limbs, and then comes and does a suplex to them, you know, uh, dragging underneath their body, coming to the outside. I always really liked that. And he got the Kinshasa, but he did, like, the lowered one and didn't have as much impact. AJ got out of it. Uh, he went for another one, and AJ got him in a partial uh, Styles Clash, but ended up winning it with the uh, Phenomenal Forearm. Pretty damn good match. Shinsuke goes on to nothingness, I guess, but uh, obviously AJ advances. The only thing I, I – I guess my big thing about AJ Styles right now is what the hell is his character <laughs> outside of just being AJ Styles? I think that's the – with what they done with the did with The Undertaker and then what they did at Money in the Bank. Like where is this leading to or are we just – supposed to forget about it and now he's just aj styles again the 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 house that aj styles built back on smackdown kind of thing i think you're absolutely right i think he's now babyface uh, well i wouldn't be surprised if he is and we just never pretend that he was a dick heel he's back on smackdown and that's all that matters this is aj styles built but uh, as far as the match goes, I thought this was a really good match. Probably one of the better AJ Styles Nakamura WWE matches. And uh, yeah, there were some really cool spots in it. Like that suplex spot is is really cool. And, uh, I don't know. I guess you know Nakamura is just kind of there, like Dolph Ziggler or Sami Zayn at this point. That just seems to be the way they're going to utilize him. I'm trying to think of like an effective feud for him next, but I can't even think of anything on SmackDown. There's like nothing. Maybe find, I guess, a spot for him. I would, I mean, I, I, I've been saying this, Chris, um, and I'm sure that it's been brought up. I'd love to see inevitably him and Daniel Bryan in a program together. Uh, they learn together. They room together in Japan. They know each other really well, and they've always wanted to work together. And that was one of the selling points for Shinsuke to come over to WWE in the, in the, to begin with, and then Daniel Bryan got hurt. So... I don't know. I think if anyone, Daniel Bryan could bring Shinsuke out of obscurity. Yeah. I mean, unless they just do that match and then he just goes directly back to where he was on the guard. He just uh, loses. And that's it. <laughs> yeah. So like, Bryan would have to lose. Like if they have a couple matches, he'd have to lose the first fight to build him basically. Yeah. I, that's just because of the way they've booked uh, Shinsuke. I mean, if they do another trade, if, let's say they move move some roster pieces around, maybe they move, say, Kevin Owens over to SmackDown or something like that, you could do Kevin Owens versus Nakamura on the way in. It's almost like they they have to move someone in to start a feud with Nakamura because I don't know or how they- else you get there. 
or since they have a, a draft pick, which is the reasoning for uh, AJ going from Raw, maybe Raw grabs uh, Shinsuke. I don't know if that's an equal draft pick, but that could be something they could pull. Yeah, and or, or potentially you could make it, I guess, another trade, like talent for talent, and just keep the trade thing going. I I find that intriguing. I just think you need to have, like more I said, established. A yeah, more established in like AGM for both shows. Even if it's not even, a, it doesn't even have to be a wrestler. It could be an actor or something. They they could play the Fox exec and the USA exec. They don't necessarily have to be, like you don't need to have. You don't necessarily have to bring in Austin and Kurt Angle. And put them on separate brands, which is what they always try to do. You could just have it be a guy <laughs> and another guy who are TV execs that want their product to get the better ratings. Basically, you create like your Jack Tunney's. Yeah, like President Jack Tunney is a perfect example. Like, do something like that. Don't make the show like focused around them as much. You can do some storyline stuff. As soon as you put a wrestler there, WWE just goes straight with that storyline. That's kind of what I was getting at earlier. Uh, when I was talking about Owens, but yeah, like I, I think just having that guy to announce these trades and maybe even like a short two minute package with him discussing a trade that people aren't supposed to be hearing. And then there's, you know, some locker room confusion. Like there's a lot of fun stuff you can do with that. And it's also a way to take someone like Shinsuke Nakamura and refresh them and send them to the opposite brand where they have a whole new subset of people to work with. Yeah, I'm down. I definitely like that idea. All right, uh, we had the SmackDown Women's Champion, Bayley, going against the NXT Women's Champion, Charlotte. They had a fucking great match, I will say. Uh, um, I like this match. They usually work together well. And Bayley, for some reason, for all her faults, she can she's somehow that thorn in fucking Charlotte's side that she gets these wins. And she did another roll-up, held the ropes to steal the victory. I like the part in the match where Bailey uh, got a roll up like that earlier and held the ropes, got caught for it, and then Charlotte did it and hold the ropes, and the referee didn't even fucking see it. Like I, that was pretty good. Um, but ladies had a good match. I don't know really what this means. Uh, if this is just like a hit for Charlotte that Rhea and Io can call out, you know, or probably specifically Rhea before their match at uh, in your house. But um, nonetheless, a good good win for Bailey, and probably one of the best matches she's had. Bailey's not a bad wrestler, but like honestly, one of the ones I was invested in at least uh, more so, and that's mainly because of the Queen and their chemistry. So uh, I like this match, uh, Chris. How'd you like this match with Bailey and Charlotte? I like this match uh, a lot. I don't know why Charlotte took a pin here unless she's coming back to SmackDown after dropping the title, but that goes back to the original question of who is carrying the raw brand as their top uh, female superstar. I mean, is it, is it Oscar? Cause I'm fine if that's the, the case, but they need to position her in that, in that manner. Um, so hopefully that's where they're going with her and Naya. If they are bringing, I mean, if they are bringing Charlotte back to SmackDown, which this would make me think, but it's also hard to care about once again, and the reason I say this, it's because we still have that looming fucking feud that they never give us. Yeah, and I don't think they're ever going to give us, really. 
Uh, what are you going to do? All right, so we had a match, um, intergender match with uh, Dolph Ziggler and Sonya Deville going against Otis and Mandy. Sonya, I think she had new music, but she definitely had a new leather look with this uh, new jumpsuit. Um, I don't know why she's with Dolph. I, I just don't understand that pairing. I'm not going to get it, but who gives a shit? Um, and now Mandy Rose coming out in a jean um, uh, denim outfit. I will say that, honestly, like, she might want to be careful with that. Uh, just in general, there's a lot of cameras on her. But um, anyways, uh, Rose uh, was pinned by DeVille, inevitably, in the match uh, with a stiff knee strike to the back of the head. After the match, Otis tried to check on Rose, uh, but he got super – or yeah, he got super kicked by Ziggler. Don't know really where this is going. I, I don't know if this means we're going to get another – match between Otis and, and Dolph, and then it, it's, that's probably exactly what it is. They're going to have two separate matches in the future for these feuds. Um, but yeah, I, this was fine. How'd you like it? Are they? Do you think they're going to have two separate matches, or do you think they're going to do an intergender tag match? Well, they just did one, so now I'm wondering like, why the fuck they would do another one? I don't know. I've been wondering why the Iconics and... <laughs> <laughs> Alexa Bliss's <laughs> tag team have been wrestling for 78 years, but that's a good point. Some of these things are uh, <laughs> are not to be answered. I, yeah, I mean, I guess that's where they go. I just don't understand of having Otis win Money in the Bank and then just having him do the feud that he had with Dolph already. I don't know what the reasoning on any of the shit that they do, but um, Smack, SmackDown was. Remember when SmackDown like two years ago? Was the A show, and now it's like it is worse than Raw with some of their decision making. I mean, there's still shit that I dislike on Raw, but like some of the booking stuff, it's uh, let's just say SmackDown is very stale. So they they need to shift. They they really have to do like a draft or, or more trades or something to rotate some of these guys in and out because we're seeing a lot of the same feuds just repeated. This this one is a prime example. Like feuds over. Otis got the girl. Like why the fuck are they still feuding? I don't know. No idea. If anything, this should be between Mandy and, you know, Sonya, based on what happened after that match. And this should have nothing to do really with Dolph and Otis, uh, since they've already had their feud. Well, I mean, that's the other thing. Are they trying to position it that Dolph and Sonya are in a relationship together or something? That would like, be so what? fucking stupid. You get what I'm saying? Like, what is like what is their relate? Like, they had... <laughs> I, they both had a crush on the same girl. That was what they played. And this is in the storyline. That's what they yeah. played up. Otis gets the girl, so they're just both spiteful towards Otis, and that's why they're teaming together? Is that the storyline? Or am I thinking I guess way too much their, into their tag team. Their tag team needs to be called High School Antics. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to ultra-bury this thing. I mean, I like... I like Otis and Mandy's storyline. I thought, I thought, I just thought it came to the conclusion. I don't know why we're retreading it. You just had to win money in the bank. This seems like, I mean, I know it's a thing for Otis to do and a thing for Dolph to do, but I feel like you could come up with something a little better. I agree. I love Uproxx. Um, once again, thank you, like always, Uproxx, for your breakdowns of the matches. Um, they put for this next segment, the Forgotten Sons want to kill you for not loving the troops enough. So um, that's all I'm going to say. That's what the segment meant. So, you're not going to touch that one either? 
uh, I just are they are they a biker gang? Are they what are they? <laughs> like what's they're American. I, I, I get I know they're American, but like I don't know. I have to think that Gunner is just not medically cleared to wrestle is the only reason they haven't separated this guy from this group. Ugh, I don't know. Um, yeah. So that's that's all I'm that's all I got to say about that. Last thing, Intercontinental Championship tournament match. Jeff Hardy defeated Sheamus. Um, the whole entire time, Sheamus is acting cocky, directing stuff to Michael Cole, like beating the crap out of of Jeff, stretching his face, giving him those smacks across the chest, um, and declaring that he was better. Well, Jeff Hardy uh, gonna roll up and advance in the tournament. So. Like I said, I could see Sheamus now getting involved next week and fucking shit up for Jeff. We'll have to wait and see, but uh, pretty good match. Um, do, I don't know what this really does for Sheamus, but hey, they, they positioned this feud within the, the beginning of the tournament for them, so I'm sure that they have some ideas. Uh, but yeah, what do you think about this last match with Sheamus and Jeff Hardy? I thought it was a pretty good match overall. And uh, I'm interested to see where they go with it. Like, as we talked about earlier, the Seamus interference thing makes the most sense. Maybe the idea is that's the build up to Jeff's, you know, like you have a couple matches and then you have one big match and they do an injury angle and he's off TV because that contract's got to be up soon, even with the injury time added to it. Yeah. Um, I don't even know, man. I mean, it's a way to put Seamus over as a monster if he, you know, kills the charismatic enigma on TV. You would have to. I mean, because unless Jeff Hardy is re-signing, that's very soon they're going to have to pull the trigger on someone murdering him on TV. (laughs) Just like they did with Matt. Unless the idea is you don't want to have the one match, you want to have Jeff Hardy start to job to everyone. But it seems like they're trying, they're, they're positioning Jeff Hardy with a bunch of wins to have that final match be some kind of, you know, stip match with a big angle of someone like, you know, Seamus murdering him or maybe even, you know, The Fiend or something. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm, uh, Kind of looking over things, and I just found an unfortunate news story. Um, looks like stated um, on the last episode of um, WWE Backstage was a segment with Renee Young, Ember Moon, Booker T, and Mark Henry that Ember Moon admitted that she might be done with wrestling. The injury, in, uh, injury that she sustained might be uh, something that's going to keep her out of wrestling. Uh, her statement that she made was just trying to think, like, I look back in my career in WWE, I've been there five years, and, like, yeah, I could go back and say, yeah, I should have been the one to defeat Oscar Streak, or at least I hope that, or I could say, oh, man, me and Bailey from SummerSlam, I wish I'd done more. The more and more I sit back and look at everything I've done and what I would redo – I think more about my injury currently and realizing that I may have a career-ending injury. I'm coming back from the hardest injury 
and I might not have a chance to redeem myself of all things that I want to do and all the things I want to do within my future. It's just, it's so hard to think back and regret when I try to look forward. Mark Henry kind of, you know, you know, kind of just gave her coach advice, basically said, told him not to give up. And she said, I keep looking forward and I keep pushing forward because this is what I love. This is my passion. This is the only thing I've ever wanted to do for myself. And I want that opportunity to not look back, but to look forward and to be better than ever before. And it's so hard to look back like it really is. God, I just feel like, thank you guys. But yeah, it's hard. And I hope that I do more matches. There's no so many more things I want to do. Like I said, I'm trying to get on y'all's level. I'm going to prove to you guys that I'm worth redeeming those mistakes and worth redeeming those regrets. It's just going to be a while before I do so, if I do so. So that's uh, that's Amber Moon, man. That, that is uh, That sucks. It sucks, but it also smells like a work. Like they're, they're they're building the storyline that they did with Tegan Knox coming back from her knee injury. The the thing is, I'm gonna have to watch the video of them talking and watch Booker T's facial expressions because he's the one who trained her. If he looks like he's gonna emotional, that will or if I can hear the, her voice throughout this, it will kind of I think make me think one way or the other about that possibility. But I hope if there is a situation where she's trying, but she's realizing that this injury might be it, that that fucking sucks. And she's missed in the women's division. And I wish they would have done more with her while she was on the main roster. Yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent. She was out for a concussion at one point and then she had the knee injury, right? I, you know, I, I don't remember what she went out on, like what she injured. Because I don't know, I don't remember which injury she came back from. So I don't know if she's talking about like recovering from concussion syndrome or something, or recovering from the knee injury. I would have to go back and look, because she basically had them back to back. Let me see if I can find out. Um, but it would be very unfortunate for her not to wrestle again. Uh, with it being WWE backstage, there is, you know, they try to do some realism stuff in there. Um, the the only reason I said it kind of smells a little bit like a work is the way. It was worded like, I plan on, I, I want to have more matches in the future. Um, the the fact that Mark Henry was kind of coaching her up, it, it just seems it could go either way. Um, but I, like I said, that's just from you reading it. I haven't watched, I think, you know, actually watching it would, I would be able to speak on it more. I would just say, don't take WWE backstage as like a complete <laughs> shoot guys out there if you didn't already know. Yeah, so apparently it's an Achilles injury. So I think that that is something that could be detrimental. Yeah, but, I mean that's what that's what uh you know Xavier Woods is out with, and that that takes like almost a full year to recover from. That's what they yeah. that's what the timeline was for him. So uh, yeah, that's a really bad one. I, I but I didn't know I can remember because she was out previously as well. Uh, when she first came up to NXT, she had a little, like a, a few matches and then got injured. Then she came back and did, I want to say she did that. Was it the women's Royal rumble and got injured there? Yeah. She's since going to the main roster, she's had some unfortunate luck, which really sucks because she was one of my favorite, um, female yeah, didn't performers. She, didn't she fuck up her elbow at the Royal rumble? 
because I know she had an elbow injury recently too. Yes, I mean, I. It, it's she's just had some real unfortunate luck, man, and, so, and none of it's been like crazy, like just botched spots or anything. It doesn't seem oh. like it's just it's just one of those unfortunate things. I hope to see her back in the ring. I hope that this in my head, I hope that this is not a legitimate thing and they're working it into a big return for her. Because if the idea is you're just going to have Ember Moon retire on WWE backstage, that's insulting to the fans and to like her legacy in NXT. I mean, I, yep. I feel like the, the right thing to do if she is actually retiring is to give her the prominence of coming to NXT and retiring in the ring and giving this speech. So hopefully, you know, she's able to recover and, and come back. And this is part of a storyline. But like I said, I haven't seen it, so I don't know. Uh, what the emotion or tone of it was. Well, before we talk about The Undertaker, and like I said, I hope everything's okay with Ember Moon. Um, one more little bit of news that's more NXT related, but kind of big because it involves a wrestler that was just let go of the company uh, from being a road agent. Uh, Kurt Angle is going to referee a cage, the cage fight. Remember, this is only submissions and knockout, no pins. Uh, between Timothy Thatcher and Matt Riddle uh, this Wednesday. And I have to say, I think that's fucking awesome. And if this is something where Angle maybe partially wanted out from being a road agent and being there full-time and is like, hey, call me up, shoot me an idea, pay me. And that's basically the basis of it. Then that could be it. Maybe still part of it and they furloughed. I know from what a lot of people have said Expect Drew Gulak to be back and expect um, uh, Rockstar Spud to be back uh, because of, you know, that situation. Um, but anyways, uh, how do you feel about Kurt Angle being the referee for this match, giving it kind of a big fight feel even more so? I, I love the idea of you putting, you know, amateur wrestler Kurt Angle with these two shoot style wrestlers um, in a cage and, and being the ref, being the guy that can try to contain them. Uh, I think there's that's that's a lot of fun. Um, I if this is just a one-time appearance, I'm completely okay with that as well. The I thought I had saw recently that he was really upset about the way that he got furloughed. So I, I'm kind of surprised. I could be wrong. I need to look it up. But it, it seemed like he had done a podcast right after getting let go, where he had said some not necessarily positive things about WWE. So I was a little bit surprised that. He's back already. And then Kurt Angle shows up the next week to wrestle on AEW. <laughs> <laughs> that would be like a the huge giant fuck you. I mean, <laughs> I guess they're just paying him for a one-off appearance, right? That's what I would think. I don't know. Oh, is this some kind of shady shit where he's like, he's furloughed, so he's technically still under contract, and then they can just like decide to... <laughs> Is this another fucking loophole for Vince McMahon to hold people on their contracts? Could be. I'm not going to put it past Vince. I'm going to tweet that at Dave Meltzer and find out for everybody because that is. Well, if, if you want to ask, uh, you know, a, a question to Dave Meltzer, you, 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 you can you can always ask right here. So. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I haven't heard anyone talk about that, but the idea of they they did two different things. They had actually actual firings or layoffs and then they furloughed employees and in theory furloughed you would still be under contract i would 
bank, but you're also an independent contractor. So I don't know how that shit shakes out, but I'm hoping that this isn't some kind of weird thing where they're going to start <laughs> uh, using that contract stipulation against people. And the only reason I'm even saying this is because they do so much other shady shit, like with attacking on injury time and the other crap that they do with contracts that just make me nervous that this is some sort of another sort of loophole now that I'm now that it's on my mind. Hey, I mean, it makes complete sense. Uh, um, I completely agree with you. And if that's the case, that's fucked up. But hopefully it's not the case. And at least we're getting Kurt Angle as a referee in this match. Um, and I think this could get heads if they promote it enough uh, because they're making it like it's I mean, look at the match they displayed last time. This is very much going to look like a shoot fight uh, between Thatcher and Riddle. And you have Kurt Angle rolling around with it with the potential for some type of interaction with one of them or something. You know, I, I, I'm, ex- I'm excited about it, but he better not be getting fucked over is my uh, main thing. Yeah, and I, not, not just Kurt Angle, but any of any of the people that got furloughed. Like if you were a road agent or something, and, and that was a situation for you or any employee at WWE, that would really uh, fucking suck. You know, Gerald Briscoe, I want you to do ten laps around my house. Now, yeah. <laughs> All right, Mister McMahon. <laughs> uh, I, I I mean I'm just I hopefully that is not the case. It probably isn't. It just popped into my head, so it's something I will try to find out for the listeners in the future. But yeah, I'm hella, I'm hella excited to see fucking Kurt Angle in the ring with Matt Riddle and Timothy Thatcher. That should be fun. Any interaction with either of those guys? I mean, I would assume that it would have to be Timothy Thatcher where he crosses the line, just because Matt Matt Riddle's the chill bro. Yeah, I could see Kurt ripping him off for whatever reason, maybe thumbing to the eye or something like that. Uh, it's gonna I, be good. Uh, I would, I, I just wish they would have built it up a little bit more and maybe pushed the if they if you thought you were gonna do this, I would have probably pushed the Matt Riddle match out a little further. That way you could have had some interactions with Kurt and let the viewers know that that was coming as like a big show feel type deal. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Or, you know, save this for uh, in your house. But I guess, no. I mean, it makes sense to try to get viewers on NXT and have reasons. So they've been doing pretty good main events and and whatnot. So either way, um, let's move on. I want to talk about our last thing, and that is uh, The Last Ride, uh, the uh, Undertaker documentary. Uh, They've gotten two parts. I believe it's five or six parts uh, that took place. Back originally in 2000 and what was it, 2017, uh, before WrestleMania 33 with this match with Roman, in which The Undertaker originally was going to call it quits. And that was just going to document the ending. And they go over a lot of his career beforehand, uh, basically all of the WrestleMania matches, him and Sean, then him and Triple H, and then him and CM Punk. And him and Bray Wyatt and him kind of in this time period doing less and less and, you know, getting older and uh, kind of losing faith even in himself. And this was a very human dive in to The Undertaker, a gimmick that has been protected for 30 years. Got to realize, and I don't think people really think about this. We talk about the eras of WWE. Who's the best? 
in the in the uh, the rock and roll wrestling era, you'll say Hulk Hogan. Who's the best in the new generation? Someone might say Bret Hart or Shawn Michaels or whoever. Who's the best in the Attitude Era? Who's the best in the Ruthless Aggression Era? Who's the best in the PG Era, the Reality Era? This era that we don't even have a name for. He's been a part of all of them. He started as a villain that broke Hulk Hogan's neck in 92 at the end of the rock and wrestling era, if you will. The the golden age, if you will. The first one. And it was very primary in the new generation along with Brett, Diesel, Sean. Huge in the Attitude Era. American Badass in the Ruthless Aggression Era. Came back as the taker. You know, and has been having these matches and has slowing down, but he's a big guy. He's extremely agile. And we haven't seen a lot of candid stuff with him. You know, we know that he's married. He has three kids. uh, But we don't really know that much information about anything. And just to hear it from other people about how good he is and how good of a leader he is in the back and how, you know, he's uh, uh, he was called Don Corleone by uh, Mark Henry, you know, the leader of the the locker room and uh this this whole entire documentary is very insightful and it's cool to see him now that he's getting a bit vulnerable and towards the end of his career kind of showing us stuff and uh i really really like this uh just your general thoughts chris on the documentary so far and kind of seeing the undertaker outside the gimmick of the dead man i actually liked it a lot um, from the standpoint of it, it, this is kind of the first deep dive we've had on the undertaker. He hasn't done a lot of podcasts. He hasn't done a lot of interviews over the years in, in general, outside of, I guess the stone cold interview that he did for WWE recently, but they already knew this kind of was in the pipeline of coming out also. But it, even if you go back and watch television interviews or things from shows that he had done, he didn't really give much. Like, this is the deepest dive into The Undertaker, at least as a person, I think we've ever gotten. And for that, I really enjoyed it. I think one of the coolest things that he admits, and we've kind of heard this, but it was confirmation from him, Chris, is that the streak itself didn't really, no one really realized it. And with Taker, at first, he was supposed to be a very slow, methodical monster that choked and, and did stuff, always got up, the Terminator, if you will. Um, but, you know, based on the fact that he was skilled uh, for his size and able to jump to the outside and do these uh, front flip clotheslines and whatnot, he became more caring, it seems. I think that his main care is to make sure that the matches themselves are good, that he gives back to the wrestling fans, that he makes sure that his opponent looks good. Those are things that he gives a shit about the most, you know, and it just, it's it's good to see someone that's so well respected within the industry that it's, he's just a good guy, man. He's not, he's not in it. Like, I think that the reason why someone like him would be more well respected than say, you know, Hulk Hogan, who might be a bigger draw Obviously, Taker's one of the biggest spectacles, kind of like an Andre more so, where it's just fighting him is the big deal. Um, is because he does everything to talk to people, you know, and, and tell them how he feels about a certain thing. Wants people, you know, younger members to come up to him and 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 have a relationship, go over matches, and then you find out he's actually 
kind of vulnerable in, in the sense that he puts a lot of pressure on himself, especially towards the end of his career when he realizes that his body's breaking down. He even straight up says, you know, I'll admit it. I, I can't I can't do a full time tour. I can't even do anything close to that. You know, it's just not going to happen. And at this beginning part that we see him, he's in a lot of pain. Uh, he has the match at WrestleMania 33 with with Roman. I thought it was a good match. I know that I don't think you had a problem with it. The two glaring bad things in it was when Taker tried to do the last ride and couldn't pick up Roman and then couldn't give his body and throw it up for Roman to be able to get reversed into the tombstone. And that wasn't Roman's fault. And it kind of ends, for the first episode at least, with Roman a very emotional about the whole entire thing uh, and Taker, you know, okay with with going out like that and hadn't seen the footage back but with the first episode you know we just find out how how bad his hip is how he's walking around the 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 the, uh whatchamacallit the hall of fame and you know even so many people out there sean who was there and saw him jbl they all kind of said the same thing like he was walking like he was hurt and he was about to say fuck it and go out there and have a great match with roman and, you know, his age kind of got in the way, and we all said this. How did you like, uh, you know, that, that tale and that story within the episode, uh, the first part? It was almost heartbreaking, because we knew going in that Undertaker had been beat up for a while, um, going into that Roman match. But seeing the backstage footage of him walking around with that limp, I mean... It's incredible that the guy put on the performance that he did and, like you said, his care for the fans and for the people he's working with and knowing that he's the Undertaker. And this, like, he's actually Mr. WrestleMania. Sorry, Sean. <laughs> he's an Undertaker. He is. So it's, it was very enlightening to see that side of the Undertaker. We've always heard from, you know, wrestlers that he is, you know, the, back, the backstage leader. Um, that great Cody story, which will, I, I'll, I don't know if we've posted that on the site, but I, I can repost it up, uh, where, where he, he just seems to go out of his way to try to make other wrestlers look good. And, um, as far as that match goes at WrestleMania, I didn't have a problem with it at all. I mean, there was two spots that, you know, three years earlier, Taker could have done with no problem, but that's, you know, what, five Brock matches later from from where he, you where that roman match was essentially if you really think about it i mean i was okay with taker walking away right then and there at, even at the time and it it was like i liked the way they ended that the match itself with him putting the hat and the coat in the ring if the boneyard match is his like last hurrah in wwe even now i'm okay with that being the end with him just kind of riding off on his chopper into the into the moonlight it's kind of fitting of his character i just appreciate everything the undertaker has done he has provided me with years and years and years and years of entertainment and is in my opinion the, the best big man to ever step in the ring as far as anyone over the you know that you're getting into the six foot six range i'd say like Taker is by far the best. I, I don't know anyone that you could even make an argument against, but yeah, it was it was fun just to see some interactions with him and like someone like the Miz, and then like joking with each other, like seeing that side of Taker 
it, it almost makes me wish they would have been able to get this out before uh, Mania and before AJ Styles started kind of attacking some of the personality or the personal stuff with Taker because it would have made a bit more sense. But, uh, you know, that's like a small complaint would just, uh, you know, that just happens sometimes. Maybe the production wasn't ready. WWE is so damn good at these documentaries. Yeah. Like putting these together, they're always so much fun to watch from like the Becky Lynch one from the Kevin, you know, the Kevin Owens uh, doc they've done. They just do a really great job of packaging this together. And it's crazy to think about a TV crew just constantly being around or a film crew just constantly being around Undertaker when all of those years, I mean, even going, like I said, when he would do an interview overseas as champion or something, you see like him basically no selling everything. (laughs) Like he never stopped being the Undertaker. And that's something uh, that's very appreciated. I mean, he collapsed after the loss to Brock in the back and Vince McMahon was so distraught. He left WrestleMania before the end, which is like never happened. Yeah. Brock and him. And that just shows how much he means to that. Yeah, man. Respect and how much he means to the WWE. So I've loved this documentary. It's, it's definitely eye opening. It was hard to watch at some point knowing what, (laughs) what all they actually still did in that fucking Roman match where backstage the guy could barely walk. And then he came up from that entrance rim. And uh, I'm not going to say looks fine, but he just went through. I mean, he must have been in incredible pain the entire time. But yeah. this is also the guy that wrestled Mick Foley in a hell in a cell with a broken foot. So, And uh, Mick says that, man. He's one of the <laughs> toughest guys he knows. Like, there's no way. He's, 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 he's just built tough. And to hear that, like that story, uh, we got confirmed. We, we've all known, but to hear it directly from the man's lips, Undertaker, Brock Lesnar. Oh, by the way, new stuff that he revealed recently in an interview. The day of Chris, they decided the streak would end, or I should say, Vince decided the streak would end. So that's one thing that's already crazy about that match with Brock. But actually, to know that, and they kind of think they figured it out. I think with that one part where Brock took his legs out from under him on the outside and his head smacked against the ground. That might've been where he lost uh, memory because of the concussion that he got from that. But concussed throughout the whole entire match does not remember anything like at three o'clock. He remembers a memory that him and um, him and his wife uh, were doing uh, beforehand and then doesn't remember anything until like later on that night in the hospital. But yeah, completely concussed. Put on a, you know, for, for being for being in such a bad concussion, put on a good match. But you would think that he was selling throughout that. No, he was literally, like, didn't know what the hell was going on. And then to find out that Vince and Brock both immediately left to go to the hospital, and they were the first two people there when Michelle got there. The whole relationship with Vince McMahon and how even asking Vince how, um, what does The Undertaker mean to him, and also WWE, and he started getting emotional and couldn't answer it, basically, because, of course, you know, Vince can't show any type of thing, but their 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 father-son-like relationship and how much money they've made with each other, basically, and but when it comes down to it, like, how much they care for each other, very crazy seeing uh, The Undertaker, someone that we represent 
in a positive light a lot of times, especially the locker room leader, the good guy trying to help out the next generation, you know, taking it or giving advice. And then Vince McMahon, who's like this closed kind of arrogant type of personality. But when it comes to the two of them, their relationship, they love each other and they've helped each other out a lot. Uh, but I, it was weird to hear that Brock and, uh, and and Vince were the first two people at the hospital when Taker got there, and they left WrestleMania, especially Vince. Yeah, and I mean, not they, the WrestleMania they left is where Daniel Bryan won the title, so that was a huge, I mean, that was a huge deal of them finally putting that belt back like on Daniel Bryan, like that that was a massive buildup. You're talking like a six or seven month build up for all that shit with Daniel Bryan. But uh that just shows the that I that just shows the amount of respect that that even that Vince has. And it's like it's kind of the only you don't get to see very human sides of Vince very often and this was was one of those sides where he actually came off as like I, I do have feelings. <laughs> I'm not necessarily always just the corporate machine. So yeah. This whole documentary was or at least I should say the parts we've seen so far has been has been fucking phenomenal. Yeah, love the scene with Triple H where you go to Bray Wyatt and I uh, I can't really speak for the match because I don't remember it, but Bray's like, of course I'm fucking nervous. I'm about to go against the Undertaker, um, and you know I have no idea how he feels. And you go to Undertaker and he's nervous, and he's like, I never, you know, I always get nervous in WrestleMania. Uh, no matter what. And Triple H comes to him and says, you're the fucking Undertaker, man. Like, go out there and do some stuff. Or, you know, that type of relationship that he has with Triple H and also with Vince when Vince was told him basically to stop feeling sorry for himself and fucking do something. And he's like, if anyone else said that, I would have punched him right in the face. But that's the relationship he has. They seem like a tight trio. Maybe you throw Sean in there, too. But... um just just a brilliant guy and Vince got him Vince got him to come back uh, he saw the footage he felt terrible about uh, the the match that he gave Roman he was really hard on himself I think Michelle made a lot of sense though saying that like I doubt Roman thinks it like that they kind of shoot to the uh, the to Roman and how he felt afterwards he gets very emotional he's kind of like you know just with himself realizing that he might have you know beaten the Undertaker and retired him which is huge. But when Taker kind of makes, you know, an appearance at the Royal Rumble before he commits to going against John Cena, he makes it a point to come up to Roman and say, I'm sorry, I couldn't give you the match that I wish I could have given you. And Roman was like, no, no, no. Like, you know, he didn't feel like that, obviously. But in retrospect, when you look at it, I think this is a passing of the torch in a different way with him and Roman, because Roman now is the model person in the back that everyone respects. Everyone goes for advice. And is now the locker room leader. So it's kind of, I guess, a bittersweet concept. Uh, but, you know, he just – he gives so much, man. Yeah, and, and that that was such – that's like a great moment in that documentary with him and Roman. Uh, and just like Roman's like, what the hell are you talking about? You let me beat you at WrestleMania. <laughs> like who cares about the quality of the match? Like – that's kind of how it came off. He's like, you, you did me like the biggest favor of, of all. That was potentially your last match ever. And you you put me over. So like, who cares if it had like two little botches? I thought the match itself was not that bad. Honestly, Undertaker has no. had worse WrestleMania matches. 
Uh, Undertaker versus Big Boss Man. There's a good example of a worse <laughs> WrestleMania match for Taker. So, like, if you go back across his entire legacy at WrestleMania, I mean, didn't he fight Giant Gonzalez at WrestleMania? <laughs> I believe so. That was a way worse match, <laughs> if that is the case. I, I mean, I don't have all his matches pulled up in front of me. I mean, it's just so crazy to hear that that that's the level of, of like love Undertaker has for the business and, and for the fans and wanting to put on that performance and help put over you know his fair fellow wrestlers. Yeah, <clears throat> and uh, so through the second I, episode, I, what were you gonna say? Sorry. Well, for I think like you know even after that WrestleMania, one of the things that I said is like if Undertaker is done right now, like he doesn't owe us shit. Like <laughs> that guy has given us. You definitely said that. So damn much because people were like, "Is this the end of the Undertaker?" We're upset about it. I'm like, I mean, yeah, it sucks, but like you have <laughs> like 20 years or thir- almost 30 years, right, of Taker. Like, what else do you want the guy to do for you? It's just, he's incredible. And and one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Definitely in the top ten list. Yep. Uh, So the second episode basically focused on Taker getting hip surgery, feeling great afterwards, uh, and kind of after seeing, at least in his own head, the results of WrestleMania 33 with him and Roman, wanting to go out on a better note than that, um vince has them come into his office to offer you know basically takers there to be like if you need someone and it's you know a diehard thing let me know but vince has other ideas uh, presents the concept of john cena makes them wait while he finishes his workout which is a very vince thing to do because uh, they got there on time and um sends a ring to to taker and with the help of uh, primo cologne and his wife and other trainers, uh, you know, starts getting ring ready and is kind of putting off Chris when we get to WrestleMania from him and John Cena because he he said that he worked to get ready for a 45-minute match if they had to. And they basically got like five minutes with him and John Cena. And he's not – this is going to go into the next episode, but he's not really happy – like, he feels like he, he has more in the tank now after the surgery, after getting in great shape and really training hard. So that's when we're going to see him go against DX with the Brothers of Destruction. And we know what happens from there. The preview, Triple H even goes, oh, my God, five minutes in, and it's a fucking shit show. And it's going to be one of those things that Michelle talks about, Chris, where Taker wants to end on a good note. He does a great match, then says, you know what, I got a little bit more in the tank, and then screws it up the next time, and that keeps on happening. And we look at, you know, this is 2018. We know that the, the match with DX does not end up good, um, and we know the match with him and Goldberg doesn't end up good, and then he has a tag match, obviously, with Roman and him, and then the, the last match with AJ. Also, him seeing AJ on the monitor and saying, that's one guy I wish I got to work with. That's a guy that reminds me of Sean that I really got wish I got to work with. Good foreshadowing for something he didn't even realize. But basically, we know what's going to happen with this. And that's one of the fun things about this is that Michelle's right. He's going to do something good and then kind of shit happens, even if it's out of his control. 
like the Goldberg situation. And I can't wait until we get to that part. Um, how'd you like him getting <laughs> ready for, for John Cena, you know, working out with Primo, getting better at those certain gyms, you know, him getting himself in the best shape and then being kind of turned off that he gets five minutes with John Cena at WrestleMania. But they, they did that so awesome. He destroyed John Cena. It was great. I know. He's <laughs> like, so hard on himself. He really is. Like like I said, he's had way worse WrestleMania matches. <laughs> like the John Cena one was pretty damn good. Um, and we, me and you both going into it were not as worried as the Roman match just because it, it, we knew the Roman match had to be a bigger deal. But... Like we, I didn't think John Cena was beating the Undertaker headed into that match. Like I assumed it was going to be exactly what it was, just like all of the all of the kind of matches he's done since then in, in Saudi and, and stuff. Um, outside of you know that the match that he tried to have with DX and and when Triple H says that's a clusterfuck, he he tore his pectoral like clean off the bone, right? Like two Ugh. minutes into the match, so it was basically Sean versus Kane and the Undertaker. Undertaker. <laughs> and Sean hadn't oh. wrestled in fucking God. I can't even. When would have been the last time? I guess that would have been the the, the second Taker mm-hmm. match. Yeah. Which you know at that point that's eight years. Yeah, <laughs> that's a long ass time to to go. I mean I know Sean's you know he still works. He's still working with it. He was still working with NXT and stuff at the time. So I'm sure that he was ready for the match. And I. Even that match, I didn't think it was that bad considering one of the people involved in the match that would have been pivotal because Sean was, was Sean was supposed to be the babyface in peril in that match, and that is not what happened because uh, Triple H, unfortunately, had just a really nasty injury. Um, the Goldberg clusterfuck, I can't wait till they get to either because I hope the answer is, like, Goldberg's a fucking idiot, <laughs> and that's why that match sucked. Uh, oh, Lord. Just uh, just some good stuff, man. But uh, yeah, I've enjoyed the first two episodes. We're going to be going over the future episodes. We'll go over episode three that will be airing tomorrow night on Sunday. At least we're, we're recording on Saturday, like I said. And uh, yeah, we'll give you guys, uh, our, you know, we'll, our thoughts on it. And um, if you didn't know, if you didn't hear uh, our Thursday episode that we recorded that was released, uh, I believe Friday, um, basically our last episode. We're going to be doing NXT and AEW and any non-WWE-related uh, wrestling news um, and also like segments like we did the Owen Hart thing um, with our, our first show of the week. Our second show of the week that we do on the weekends, we'll be going over Raw, SmackDown, anything major WWE-related stuff. So pay-per-views, same thing. Uh, just to let you guys know for future stuff. Here's some uh, information that's great. I haven't seen the interview, but apparently AJ Styles cut a – I don't know why the fuck this wasn't on SmackDown unless they're not thinking about uh, doing something. But it's in reference to the dead man, and uh, he said that he has to redeem himself. No one gets buried alive and comes back like AJ Styles. I hope the Undertaker hears every word I'm saying. And that's all I've been thinking about. It's all anyone has talked about. So I wonder, are they setting up? I mean, honestly, their match was supposed to be. If, if that's not Undertaker's last match, the 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 um, barroom match, whatever the fuck it's called, the segmented match. If that's not his last match, 
They were supposed to have an actual wrestling match. So is this what's going to make up for it? Are they going to put this on SummerSlam? In theory, if they are building up to that, Chris, I'm not saying they are. Or could this be building up possibly to Survivor Series, which would be uh, the 30th anniversary of him and the company officially, where he premiered, and maybe his actual last match like he wanted to with AJ? In theory. It's very damn possible. I would... I've said... I've said this before with the undertaker giving him an opponent, like giving him the right opponent, I think will go a long way. And with AJ, AJ can do most of the selling and taker can use his brawling style and you can probably get a pretty good match out of it. Um, With a problem with some of the matches they've tried to do in the past, like is they, they, they go for these big man matches and it's not necessarily the, the easiest thing to do with with what they want Taker to accomplish in the ring, such as like Goldberg or to some extent the Roman Reigns match, uh, which we talked about earlier. AJ and Taker, could they have a good match? I would say, yeah, you do it at Survivor Series. Is it just a Hell in a Cell match? What do you do after a Boneyard match? Maybe you have them build this for SummerSlam. AJ gets the win by doing something nefarious, and then the last match is at Survivor Series in something like a Hell in a Cell. That could definitely be it. Last match for Taker, end of the feud. I guess Taker puts over AJ in that situation and rides off into the sunset. Yeah, to me, I mean, if it's... After seeing how good the Boneyard match went and and kind of looked and, and the reception to it for the most part, I would probably do some sort of brawl style stipulation match for sure i just don't know what that entails i mean hell in the cell would give you a lot of openings of that yeah that's intriguing i like that they're still putting that out there but it could just end up being like taker is in the rumble and you know he has that moment with aj styles and then that's the that's kind of the end of it or whatever, but, or AJ tosses him and there's lots of things that they could do. I, yeah, I because love- the thing with the boneyard matches, we, we kind of said this, if he, I mean, unless he wants to have a retirement in ring, you know what I'm saying? And then once in a while at a WrestleMania, he'll sometimes do a boneyard match. I don't have a problem with that either. Yeah. But like, Hey, Cause that's if different. Taker, if Taker wants to have one last match, um, they picked the the correct opponent in AJ Styles as the guy as the guy to work with. I think. You know I why? Because I'm from fucking Gainesville, Georgia. <laughs> I mean, I don't know who else you would you could even think about slotting in there, honestly. That that where you know you're going to get a high quality match. Like, I guess Daniel Bryan would be the only other guy. Because Daniel Bryan gets good matches out of of people like <laughs> Bray Wyatt. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, selfishly, I mean, I mean, part of me wants to see him and Alistair, but I don't think that's a possibility anymore because I think we're looking at the, the tail end of his career. So AJ, DB, those make sense. Yeah. Every time we say that about Undertaker, though, he just has like 10 more matches. So. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and I lo- I, I honestly, honestly, he looks great with that new hip, especially in training and stuff like that. Or no, yeah, that new hip uh, in training and everything. So. If he's got it, you know, like he said, and I think this is a good way to close out on, 
he wants to end when he wants to fucking end. It's not up to the fans. He loves them, but it's he's heard people say that he should end his career. You see a lot of his fellow wrestlers say the same thing. Like, does he know when he's going to end? Edge said it great. Sean said it great. But it's up to Undertaker when he wants to fucking end his career. Yeah, it's totally up to Undertaker. My, my standpoint on this has always been the fans are the ones that I tend to have more of a problem with when it's like, I don't want him to retire. I want another match. I was like, that's always been my thing. Is like, dude, if Undertaker wants to retire, like, I don't know. <laughs> fuck it. He let him. But uh, if he, yeah, as long as he feels good to go, wants to wrestle. I mean, they give us way worse matches than anything the Undertaker is going to do a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah. Like, we're going to get a Jinder Mahal match pretty soon. <laughs> with, with, like, I don't know. With Undertaker? No, no, no. Just in general. You're gonna, know, like, we're, gonna we're gonna end up seeing this on TV. There's gonna be a Jinder Mahal match with just someone random, and it's gonna be like the biggest clusterfuck of all time. And then you'll be like, oh, <laughs> yeah, Takers. All of Takers' you know matches are better than that. <laughs> no, and and I agree with you. But you know what? Speaking of the issue, um, while we wrap up this conversation, obviously, I had to admit, like, I watched, um, I was watching a compilation of Seth. Rollins matches and they had his match with Jinder when he won the NXT title. Jinder was a fuckload more fluid. Like, did they just like make him just do boring shit and he's just not that good? So it just the boring shit plus that's not that great because he he had a pretty good match with Seth Rollins in NXT. Well, he was a lot smaller size wise. That I mean that that yeah. probably has some some to do with it, but uh. Also, Seth Rollins is just really fucking good. He was really, really fucking good in NXT. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Ah, oh, Lord. Anyways, well, I guess this is the end of Wrestling Geeks Alliance. I think we've gone over pretty much everything that we need to go over. And I think this has been a pretty good episode. So if you guys have been listening out there, thank you so much. Uh, come find me on Facebook. You can find me at Dane Alves. Message me on Twitter at Danehouse42. And of course, uh, you know, get a hold of my good friend and co-host, Christopher Brother Ray Patton. Uh, you know, say goodbye to the good people. Good sir. Yeah, sure. If you guys want to talk to me, you can hit me up at, at Chris R. Patton on Twitter and on Facebook, Christopher.r.patton. And uh, I hope everyone has a good weekend and get excited because we have a pay-per-view tonight. Double or nothing! And we have our predictions if you guys want to listen to them on the last episode. Uh, but either way, can't wait for AEW tonight. Very, very excited. And uh, yeah, thank you guys so much. You can listen to Wrestling Geeks Alliance on all audio platforms, all downloadable audio platforms. Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, pretty much everything. YouTube. Go, just go to Wrestling Geeks Alliance, search that up, and you will find us. And thank you guys so much. You guys have a wonderful weekend. And let the wrestling vibes be with you.